Pushkin. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Author's Note When I set out to try and understand the experience of heartbreak, both my own and more generally, I recorded a lot of my journey as it was unfolding in real time. I'm recording <laughs> Oh, you are? Oh my God, you're really gonna do this? Writing this book has been a deeply personal exploration for me, and I'm grateful you're choosing to listen. It may sound a little different from the audiobooks you're used to hearing. I'll be reading the text, but you'll also hear passages from my audio journal entries and sounds from trips I took in the wilderness. You'll hear conversations with friends. The only advice I have for you is that we are here for you, so don't do it alone and scientists and experts who study heartbreak. Just because you've been dumped doesn't mean you don't, you just can stop attaching. In fact, the brain region that becomes active when you've been dumped, um, linked with pain, also becomes active when you have tooth pain. So <laughs> Why does very, that seem sort of appropriate? <laughs> so it's, it's a very painful um, experience and it can last a long time. You'll even hear me in therapy. Yeah, just the whole universe of dating is much more dramatic than being in a 20-year marriage. I figured this is an audiobook. You might as well really hear it. The highs, the lows, the sometimes crooked path to a heart more whole. Here we go. I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 5. O.G. Sin You suck at love. Simple Plan. From the album Simple Plan. I always liked driving west. After Salt Lake City, I'd flown back to Boulder, and now I was headed out again to speak at another conference, this time in the tiny alpine town of Telluride. 
I picked up the old Ford Ranger truck we still shared with Peter and Lisa. Manhandling the stick shift and hand rolling the windows up and down made me feel less ghost-like and more embodied, bigger and slightly tougher. Perhaps I was wandering alone through a dark wood, but I had my metal steed. This steed supplied no air conditioner, so the mountain wind slashed into the cab with the smell of something alive. Maybe this was the simplest tool of female power, a Ford. The San Juan Mountains never looked better. As part of the conference one day, I led a group of hikers up a trail to a small creek. Some medical technicians joined us from town, and they brought blood pressure monitors. We took the hikers resting blood pressure before starting, and then again about 30 minutes into the hike. We had closed our eyes to hear the breezes and the birds better, crumbled and sniffed ponderosa pine needles, and felt the texture of the trail beneath our feet. It was fun to demonstrate in real time what I'd written about the quick restorative effects of engaging your senses outside. And sure enough, everyone's blood pressure dropped significantly. It reminded me again how badly I needed these lessons myself. I wanted to stop buzzing, to stop losing weight, to stop the ceaseless sorry soundtrack of heartbreak, and to remember I was not friendless and the world was not trying to kill me. On the last day of the conference, I met a man named Ennis, a good friend of a friend. He was appealing in a nerdy way, confident, earnest, a system scientist with a specialty in wildlife population dynamics. He wanted to save global ecosystems. He told me his wife had dumped him several years earlier. Everything sucks so hard. In divorce, it's like pain. That's him. That's his real, actual voice. We recalled this encounter later on tape. At the time, though, we were standing over a cheese plate at an outdoor party. A band was playing. Hipsters, film people, and extreme athletes were crowding the kegs. Divorce might be hard, but Ennis told me he had found an upside. One of the only greener pastures of it all is you get out to, to hook up with new people. What? How great is that? He spoke in shifting tones of exclamation points and resonant warmth. An extrovert's extrovert. He was almost giddy, recounting the freedoms and possibilities of singledom. I was mystified that anyone could feel so good about what was clearly a consolation prize. I liked being married. I liked the comforts and predictability, the rituals of couple-filled school meetings, family meals, dog walks, shared friends, the expectation of adequate retirement benefits. Happy coupledom was, as Bert Uccino kept saying in Utah, the holy grail of life as a naked ape. It was your best bulwark against chaos. Somebody had your back. In the meantime, though, Ennis, his bushy eyebrows rising and falling above Scandinavian chic eyewear, was offering some concrete advice. Or you just got separated. You totally need to be making out with somebody. So the rebound is like the first person after a breakup that you hook up with and Maybe it's not Mr. Forever, but it's Mr. Right Now, and it sends you in a good direction. I looked at him skeptically and scanned the crowd of sundresses and light fleece. We chatted a bit longer. Ennis migrated to a conversation with a polar explorer, and I ducked out to meet a friend for dinner. Which pissed me off, because I was... I only left that conversation with you because I didn't want to come on too strong. I knew that... I had to play a little hard to get, and so I left the conversation and walked around the party. But then I left. 
So there was that was a fail because I just like walked out of the party. Okay, listener, I know this sounds kind of cute hearing us remembering this, like maybe we actually ended up best friends or happily ever after or something. Trust me, that's not what happened. Ennis did get my number. Later that night, he texted. I wrote right back. I'm done with dinner. What's up? And you said, did you find someone at the party to make out with? Yeah. (laughs) And I said, no, they were all 26 and stoned. (laughs) (laughs) And you said... Well, that needs to be me. It took me a moment to realize he was offering himself. This had not occurred to me. I hadn't flirted with a stranger in decades. That muscle had withered along with the inclination. Ennis, with those assertive eyebrows, those doleful eyes, was not an obvious magnet of ardor. But I was finding it fascinating that he was so brazen and that he seemed to like me. I felt a gravitational pull toward his desire. This was wholly unfamiliar kind of sexy. So at 9.08 that night, I texted, so are we meeting downtown Telluride or Mountain Village, which was around the corner? (laughs) And I said, "Um, I'm chickening out, not ready. This is me calling the shots, like you said. But you're great, and to be continued? And I said, um, mocking your um, you need to call the shots with more certainty to be convincing. Like, that was bullshit. I'm checking out question mark. That was such a tell. Uh, then I just said, long hug under the tree in 36 minutes. Now you're sounding like a systems geek. That sounds like a yes. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. (laughs) What would 88% of your girlfriends tell you to do? Question mark. The wise ones who really know you. Compelling argument. See you soon. I looked in the restaurant's bathroom mirror, seeing a woman who'd once been sure of herself and relatively untroubled. I wasn't young, but I wasn't ancient. My hair looked smooth and well-behaved in the Colorado aridity. Several weeks after one's marriage ends might seem like an impossibly short time to start snogging someone new, but something I hadn't felt in a long time was rising. It was part defiance, part survival instinct, part arousal, and these were feelings of youth. I hadn't felt any of them in a long time. A certain teenage recklessness was knocking on my forehead. Plus, Helen Fisher had said romance was good for us. Paula Williams said, be open-minded. Lisa wanted me to unnumb. What the hell, why not? A man was maybe seducing me, and I was liking it. And he was my age, had a job, and he was vetted by a trusted friend. So I met Ennis under that cottonwood tree. We walked to a footbridge over the rushing creek. Under the moon. Yeah. At night. Super romantic. Super, super duper romantic. Super romantic. And I was there on the railing, and you showed up, and you just, like, grabbed me. Yeah. And we started smooching. Yeah. We kissed. A lot. And it was amazing. It was almost a religious experience. No one other than my husband had kissed me like that in over two decades. And even he, not in a long time. I had thought I was very possibly done with men, and I was okay with that. I have good friends, I have nice kids, loyal pets, and yet... Here I was, 
overwhelmingly turned on. My hard little heart hiccuped and started to soften, along with everything else. I had discovered the power of sex as a teenager, but its power to me then was mostly a social one. It was a way to be in relationships, to know someone in a special way. That was so long ago I'd forgotten. I'd enjoyed it since then, fairly often, and then not so frequently. But for a long time, it hadn't felt engulfing or piercingly intimate or even that important. It had felt like a wan houseplant. You have remote memories of blooms, but they're distant. After some kissing and gropes, I sent Ennis back up the gondola to his room, and I went back to mine, feeling humid and relieved it hadn't gone further. There was no plan to reconnect, and that was fine. I had a kissy souvenir from a fantasy town. Tomorrow, Ennis would return to his New England city. I'd be back at my house sending postcards to my kids, slightly flushed but still respecting myself. Early the next morning, Ennis texted. You should be in the bed next to me right now. My hand slipped under your butt. A longer denouement. My first thought was, I'm going to have to put a passcode on this phone. My second was, how nice. I was surprised that over the next several days, Ennis kept texting. I want to see you, he wrote. He wanted to know my schedule, my upcoming coordinates. We talked on the phone, sometimes for hours. He told me he was dating here and there, that it was good, but not great. He was looking for a serious relationship. We acknowledged that we didn't seem like a practical pairing. We lived far apart. We both had kids. Still, he told me he was interested. I was age-appropriate, smart. He liked my body type. We laughed and pulled out the calendars. We had one clear spot in a few weeks. I like Boulder, said Ennis. I'll come visit you there. Then I got nervous. I'd forgotten how to be sexy. I was still so raw from the split. Who wanted a girlfriend who cried every day? I had enough going on. I didn't really think I could handle this physically or emotionally. Plus, who was this guy, really? I knew he'd been on Tinder for years. I worried he was a walking petri dish of sexually transmitted diseases. I called my friend who introduced us and asked him, is he really a good guy from a girl perspective? He said, he's great. He's looking for something real. He has no red flags. No red flags. On top of all my other agitation, I now felt a surging river of carnality running through me. I listened to many podcasts, so many, often at three and four in the morning. I liked the ones about Eleanor of Aquitaine and the medieval drafting of the Charter of the Forest because they sometimes put me to sleep. Eleanor of Aquitaine was the most powerful woman in 12th century Europe. There were also lots about sex, how to do this and that, and focus on your breathing and avoid STDs. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Sex with Emily. At today's show, we're bringing you a variety of sex and relationship tips, the right way to use your fingers. It was all part of my crash course into unmarried sex, but it sometimes felt petrifying. I walked around in a whiplash of fear, insecurities, arousal, distress. It all felt foreign. The arousal piece was astounding, like acquiring a lost sense or installing cochlear implants in some unusual body parts. I thought about sex nearly all the time. I could detect subtle vibrations in rooms full of people, in the supermarket, in radio newscasts. An underground current had become sensate to me. It was thrumming in me and around me. I wondered if certain people could see it, like a curse or perhaps a blessing. 
I wasn't sure which. Lisa hauled me off to a party. Some old friends were there. Wow, you look different, said my married friend Greg approvingly. He looked right past the sunken eyes and bulging ribs. He sensed something, like we had a secret handshake. Ennis was flying out to visit soon. We'd been discussing logistics. He wanted me to line up a guitar he could borrow. He reported that he'd been given the all-clear on a round of STD tests I'd asked him to get. Good timing, I texted. I was trying to stock the house with food he'd like. Do you drink coffee? I asked. I had no idea. Chocolate? Dark or light? I knew nothing about him. Boxers or briefs? I continued texting. Boxer briefs, he wrote. Right combo of loose and snug. How amazing, I thought. I told him about how weird and hard it had been to say goodbye to my husband. He asked what I wanted in the new post-marriage me. And while I was primarily thinking, sex, 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 I didn't say it. A renewed interest and faith in men, I said. Maybe you will help me with that. I already have, he said. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I didn't hear anything from him the night before his flight, but in the morning he texted that he just barely made the plane. He was on the tarmac. A song popped up in the text chain, Love Shack. Love Shack, baby, Love Shack. I smiled and sent him a song back, Like a Virgin. Like a virgin. Gleecast version. Touched for the very I bought more groceries. I changed into a blue and white dress, some freshly purchased underthings. I tied my hair up in a bun. I stopped by Lisa's for a quick pep talk and to borrow her Honda, which has air conditioning. I recorded us on my phone. And I'm a little bit of a wreck. But you really look great. You look like Audrey Hepburn. You've lost like 400 pounds. <laughs> no, you've lost about, you've lost some weight and you have these gorgeously sculpted arms and you're wearing this kind of Audrey Hepburn little sundress thing. 
and your hair's pulled back in this dark little bob and you look like a movie star from 1968. I chose to gloss over the problematic association of extreme thinness with desirability and just take the compliment because we both knew I needed it. Plus, I'd spent some time on that bun. Thank you. You're welcome. So why am I so nervous? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, there's the fact that you have been coupled for 33 years <laughs> and that you're about to embark on full frontal vulnerable living at age 50, which is kind of Freaking a big deal. scary. Really scary. With that, she hugged me and handed over her keys. Ennis arrived curbside in a black t-shirt and black jeans, a large duffel, sunglasses. He was going for the nerd rock star look. Maybe he was nervous too. We kissed for a bit, both smiling in the glaring, flat, midday sun. Ennis asked if he could drive, so I handed him the keys. I just like to drive, he said. Back at the Love Shack, he tried out the guitar. He strummed some Dylan and Petty, His voice wasn't great, but he crooned earnestly, soulfully. I looked around and marveled. Here was a living, flesh-covered man, one who had gray eyes and well-developed quadriceps, singing to me in a borrowed house in Colorado. He was adorable. He'd fallen from the sky, and he wanted to touch me. He put the guitar down. I straddled him on the couch. We made out and then moved to the bedroom. I was ready. Apparently readier than he was. He cleared his throat and said, all in good time. I realized that meant he didn't have an erection. Oh, he went on, I guess I'm nervous. We focused on me, and that was very nice. He seemed tired. He'd had a long day. We can get some food, I said. I got dressed in another outfit I'd thought about, long shorts and a pattern tank. We pulled some townie bikes out of the garage and rode to the farmer's market, We picnicked on a blanket, our legs touching. Sometimes we held hands. This felt miraculous. I wondered if I would see people I knew, people who didn't know I no longer had a husband. I wondered what they would think. Just then, a kid I knew, a friend of my son's, wheeled past us on a skateboard and waved. Okay, that was weird. It was all weird. Every damn thing was weird. We hiked the next morning, came home, showered, and fooled around some more but his body was still not cooperating. Maybe it was the altitude. More likely, I worried, it was something about me. We grilled some steaks and sat on the porch. We monkeyed with a portable speaker and finally got it to connect to his phone. You are now paired. Enjoy. I smiled and poured the wine. I wasn't feeling very paired, but I was hopeful. Later that night, he told me what to wear, a black teddy or tank. Hmm, I said, my mind going over what I had. I have a black t-shirt. He nodded. I didn't really mind him telling me what to wear. I found it sexy that someone even cared what I wore. I wasn't surprised when he fitted me with a blindfold. He'd hinted about his proclivities, and I was curious enough to give it a go. He led me into the bedroom. He asked me to put my hands on the wall and bend over. He said it in a mock, gruff way. I giggled. It's not funny, he said. I bit my lip. Listener, some spanking ensued. He turned me around and attached something to my nipples under the shirt so that they stuck out against the fabric. Clamps? I hadn't known they were a thing. I pictured the rigid plastic ones I used to reseal the kids' pita chips. Here's the safe word, he said. 
and he whispered it to my ear below the blindfold elastic. It was his last name. I couldn't see anything, but I could imagine how things were coming out of his duffel bag, Mary Poppins style. When he put me on the bed, there were ropes already on it. He attached three of my limbs to them expertly. I could hear him undressing. Then he straddled me, mashing my breasts, squeezing them around the pita chip clamps. My bottom stung. This is a lot of effort to get an erection, I thought. I heard the buzzing of a vibrator, and he pressed it against my pubic bone. I tried to shimmy into a better position, but he was handling it like a pestle. Meanwhile, the clamps were feeling like the jaws of death. At some point, I coughed out the safe word, in a nice sort of way, with an um and a question mark at the end. Ennis adjusted the paraphernalia around my face. Hey, can you just use that thing a little more lightly and a little bit lower? I nodded and smiled, so he'd know we could start up again. He sighed. He rolled off me. The next day, after hiking, I showered and dried off in the bathroom. Ennis came in and hugged me from behind. He kissed my shoulder. We looked in the mirror. Did I do that? He said, seeing the bruises on my breasts. Sorry. How's your bottom? He looked. Ooh. Also bruised. So why did you tie up only three of my limbs? I asked. So I could flip you over, he said. Ennis was clever but not perhaps adept. I was willing to test the idea of surrender, to be told what to do at a time in my life when I had no idea what to do. This was supposed to be a chance to learn a few things. But what had happened the night before wasn't what all the podcasts had prepared me for. Good sex, they all said, was supposed to be about communication. He didn't really expect me to just be quiet, did he? I was willing to try again. We could learn together. His intentions were good, I thought. He'd come out here for six days to try us out. I wanted to believe he wanted a real connection, too. We worked some on our laptops, talked a little, made snacks, held each other at random times during the day. I told him I was taking gummy bears to help me sleep. Oh my God, this is Colorado, he said. Forget sleep. Let's go get something fun and euphoric. So we did. OG sin. It smelled skunky and exciting. That night, we went out to hear some music with friends. They found him funny and smart. He was affectionate, his hands roaming gently over me, his body swayed against mine. I found the full physical contact delirious. My husband had never been touchy this way, and so I never was either, but I was liking it. Over the ensuing days, we held hands all over town and hugged in the kitchen and threw our legs across each other on the couch. We were great talkers about everything, except about the fact that we were no longer making attempts in the bedroom. Still, it was novel and kind of wondrous to have a strange man lying there next to me. Sometimes I'd just look at him, and I even taped him snoring. During the day, he would look at me fully, smiling, pouting, playful, a man-boy in soft t-shirts that smelled like grapes. He had advice insights, a swerving way of laughing uproariously and then immediately being very serious, all eyes on me all the time. He offered an unfamiliar zone of warmth, attention, and disclosure. For many of our conversations, he said, sure, I could record them. He was game to help me document and make sense of this completely upended time in my life. So we'd sit or lie around talking for hours, the tape recorder resting on someone's chest. This is where we reread our first texts to each other. What are your biggest fears? Oh my God. 
My biggest, biggest fears? Well, your big ones or your small ones. How about a combination? Combination plate. I think my biggest fear is like is not mattering. I like to matter. I want to have an impact in the world. I want to have a part of people in my life. I want to be part of their lives. I want to, yeah, I want to create the world more towards my vision of it. I want to matter. He was such a hard-charging white guy, like my husband, in ways I found both compelling and dispiriting. Women generally don't say things like that. We are used to not feeling like we matter to the world stage, or that we're entitled to bend it so easily to our liking. And it's a given that we are part of our loved one's lives. That's our main currency. Ennis asked me about my fears. There was so much I could have said of growing old and invisible, of losing myself and not finding her again, of dying single and broke like my mother did. But what I said was also real. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about intimacy because I, I think that's one of the things that I feel confused about and sort of potentially sad about. You know, I feel like, I wonder if I have trouble accessing it. You know, I think it's so that's one of the sort of legacies of a broken marriage is that, you, you know, you quarterback all the things that you did wrong or that you're not good at. And I sort of sometimes wonder, you know, is this my issue? Like, do I have a hard time with, mm. with intimacy? I don't mm. know. It was strange to be talking to him about this, but we were lurching towards some kind of intimacy in our way. So it was also not strange at all. He was here. I was here. We were both cloaking and uncloaking our vulnerabilities all week. I was confused. During the day, we were nuzzly and affectionate. But Ennis was supposed to be my priapic Adonis. He was supposed to ravish me and relish me and help me regain my sexual confidence. He'd signed up with Brio for that exact job description. I was disappointed we'd failed to connect in an important way, and I was rattled that it must somehow be my fault. I now felt worse about myself, my attractiveness, and my future romantic prospects. I'd read about men's testosterone levels being highest when their partners are ovulating. I was two weeks out from that, so maybe I was emitting some kind of pheromonal weed whacker. Or maybe women over 50 really are unfuckable. Or maybe just I was. On night six, our last night, we were drinking wine and smoking a little on the porch. I was nervous, but I asked if we could talk about our weird week together. He said all right, and he didn't look happy, just resigned. He said he wasn't feeling the chemistry, even though we'd had it in Telluride. He paused and then explained a whole lot more. He told me he usually dated women he met online, where he could put in his profile that he likes to be dominant and was looking for women who were submissive. He said I was different from the women he met online, I was quiet for a moment before saying something that really stuck with me. I think I need to learn how to be with a woman I really want to be with. There was something else I wanted clarity on, something else getting to the crux of why I was starting to feel so bad about this week-long date. I was trying to keep the tone light because I wanted to keep talking. And the tape recorder was sometimes on, sometimes not. Are you, are you, do you try to sort of date one person at a time? Or not necessarily? Um, I 
generally the way that I've been is two modes. They're very different modes. Mm -hmm. There is date five or six people mm -hmm. at a time. Mm -hmm. And then there is date one person. Like when you find one of those five or six that kind of clicks. Yes. Wait. Am I allowed to ask how many you have in play right now? <laughs> so let me just, let me just, this is, there, there's two things that are going on. There's the reality of you and me. Yeah. And we're both kind of smiling because this is kind of, this is real. Like here we are, we're really, and we're also recording this. So this is like, so there are like between four and six other women, depending on how you define it. Yeah, so the person you invited out here is seeing, is dating a lot of women right now. That's how I am right now. That doesn't surprise me. Okay. Although that is a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I had to really process this. I was trying to breathe. I flashed to a scene in Spike Jonze's film, Her, when the main character, a man who has fallen for a honey-voiced operating system named Samantha, learns that she is simultaneously conversing with 8,316 others and has declared love to quite a number of them. How many others? 641. What? What are you, ta what are you talking about? That's, in that's insane. We talked about it more later with the tape recorder off. I asked him how he kept track of all the women. He told me he kept notes in the back of a notebook he carries around with names of their kids and stuff like that. Do they know about each other? I asked him. Well, it's like what I told you, he said. I say, yeah, I'm dating. True-ish, Ennis did say that, but he'd also told me he was looking for a serious relationship, didn't he? Then I asked him what happens if he really likes one of them. Does he see more of her? He seemed to be appreciating my interest. This wasn't something he got to talk about. Yes, he said. He told me that sometimes one can be sort of like a queen bee. The rest are the harem. He really used this word, harem. He squeezed my knee. He was thoroughly enjoying himself. But they don't know they're in a harem, I asked. Not exactly, he said. We brought in the dishes. The walls were undulating. I wasn't sure if it was the weed or the conversation. I needed to be outside. We went for a late night stroll. I asked him if he had a queen bee right now. Maybe he was feeling guilty about being here with me, and that's why he couldn't exactly... Here he interrupted me. Nope, he said. No queen bee. He said he'd like a queen bee. He reached for my hand, as usual, and held it. You're turning me into a pothead, he said. So wait, I said. When you take my hand, I feel a jolt of electricity, but you feel nothing? Like we're having basically a fifth grade romance where a boy and a girl hold hands and there's no hormones and that's it? No, he said. It's not like that. I do feel something. It's hard to explain. Everything is dynamic and inputs change and who knows what's around the bend for us or anyone else. I really like you. Maybe middle-aged sex is just complicated. That much was becoming obvious. Still, I couldn't get over the fact that this was a man with a systems fetish who screws five women at once. He was a freaking alpha chimp or a murder hornet or something in between. 
And yet, he couldn't get a hard-on for me. My brain was shouting one word at me, reject. Marital reject. Sexual reject. Boner killer. We walked back to the porch. The Siri in the speaker sensed my phone and pierced the night. You are now paired. Enjoy. Enjoy.